0: Go with me, if you would, to First Timothy, the third chapter. And we want to talk about ministries tonight. We want to talk about the local church. We want to talk about God's structure in these things that He's ordained. First Timothy. First Timothy, the third chapter. Now, let me prove to you from this passage of Scripture that the same principles... That are should be in effect in the home and family, are the principles that God has ordained for the local church. Now, in First Timothy, the third chapter, we'll begin in verse one. It says, "This is a true saying: If a man desire the office of a bishop, now uh, the word bishop, could also you could also use the word overseer, and uh, also I think this would apply." to the pastor and shepherd. For instance, uh, uh, Reverend Hagen Jr. is our bishop of this church. Now, I don't know, you know, you might not like to use that title, but if you want to go with this uh, this uh, version here, that would be appropriate. It says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. Now, you could spend some time on each one of those and talk about the qualifications. But verse 4, I want you to notice and 5 in particular. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Now, it is not the man's job to make his wife submit to him. But it is the parents' job to make the children submit. Are you listening? I'm talking especially when they're underage. That's not voluntary. That's not volitional. The child, whether they want to submit or whether they don't want to submit. As long as they're young, they should be made to submit if they're if they're you know, if they don't want to, to cooperate. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Notice verse five For if a man know not how to rule or take care of or govern or oversee his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Now, in the qualifications for a bishop or an overseer or a pastor, notice that he didn't say he didn't he didn't say, Check and see how many hours a day the man prays in the Spirit. He didn't check and say, How many times has a man read the Bible? He didn't check and see, has the man any credentials from a Bible school or seminary or theological institute? It's just so many times that today, that's today's standards. And folk think, well, you know, it'd be good if he had a good home life, but really we're more interested in his spirituality. Listen, friend, it doesn't get any more spiritual than your home life. Are you listening? Your home life, your marriage, and your children is as spiritual as you're going to get. If you learn how to overcome there, you can overcome anywhere. I'm serious as I can be. If you can walk in love at home, you can walk in love anywhere. Because you don't have to live with everybody 24 hours a day. How many know it's easier to walk in love with people if you only see them once a week? But if you live with somebody day in and day out and you're able to walk in love with them and you're able to keep, you know, uh, use the principles of the word of God and apply them seven days a week, every week of the month, every month of the year, then you can handle anything outside. It'll make you strong. And yet when he wants, when he talks about the qualifications of a pastor or a shepherd or bishop or overseer, he wants to know about the man's home life. First of all, he wants to know what kind of person he is personally, his character, his personal character. Now, see, if a man has these things in control, then that indicates some, some degree of spiritual maturity, doesn't it? Apt to teach, hospitable, he, he, he could control himself where money is concerned, uh, mentions, you know, drink and some different things that would have to do with the appetites of the flesh. Anyway, that, that uh, there's the implication that he has some degree of maturity. Right? And then also, the next thing he wants to know is, is, is what kind of shape is his children in? And what kind of shape is his home? Because he makes this statement. This is the Holy Ghost talking. If he can't take care of his home, how can he take care of the church? Implying that the demands of the church are the same or possibly more than that home. And and this is the thing. The same principles. The same, not different principles, the exact same principles. Are involved where the, the local church is concerned, as is the home, Christian home. Now that would answer a whole lot of questions about church government, wouldn't it? See, folk have a lot of questions about church government. Who should run the church? The pastor? Deacon board? Elders? Majority rule? Democratic rule? Is there, I mean, there are a lot of different ideas floating around. But if you're going to get the Bible idea, you have to bring it back to the home. That's why I say I don't think you could do, you could do too much teaching on the family and the home because if you uh, the reason a lot of times folk are messed up in church is because they're messed up at home. And they bring over those wrong ideas and that wrong thinking over into the local church. God has ordained that these institutions, that these things that he's ordained, the home, the local church, have one head. Everybody say one. One. One, head. one head. Now for instance, folk are, mi- folk are mixed up about the home. Should homes be ruled by democratic vote or democracy? How many know that democracy is not God's best? Now it sure beats most anything else you want to talk about going on in the world today as far as national government. All right? But uh, theocracy. Is God's, you know, is God's best, right? God ruled. Is that right? He rules. In other words, where the body of Christ is concerned, are we democratically ruled? Jesus is the head, right? We are the body. Now, when we decide, what are we going to do in the body of Christ? Do we just get together and vote on it? And majority rule? No. Jesus is the head. Whatever, whatever he says to us, that's what we do. Jesus is the, is, is the bridegroom. We're the bride. Amen? Now, for instance, let, let, me, let me go down with this structure, uh, structure. And if you're taking notes, we're talking about God's structure of authority. You might want to write some of these things down. We can't spend the time on every one of them. But think about it. I'm going to begin with the individual. And I want to come all the way through to the local church with God's structure of authority, as I see it in the the Scriptures here. First of all, with the individual, you understand this, it should be spirit, soul, and body in your own individual life. Right? Spirit, soul, and body. Now in the home, it should be, first of all, the man. Then the man, if he's a good man, he'd make a good husband. If he's a good husband, he'd make a good father. Did you know that you can't be a good father and be a poor husband? Some folk might argue with me on that. But you you see, you don't only teach by precept, you teach by example. You can't be a good husband unless you're a good man. First, a good man. Then a good man would make a good husband. And a good husband could make a good father. Because, see, you're teaching those children all the while by how you treat their mother. Is that right? And by all of those things. Now, secondly, is, is the woman. First of all, she needs to be a good woman, good Christian woman. And a good woman would make a good wife. And a good wife would make a good mother. You couldn't be a good mother if you're not a good wife. Are you listening? Now, I'm talking about, you know, I understand we've got some single parents. And, you know, you don't even have a, another person in the house there that, that you're working a relationship with. And God, thank God, that God can be father, amen, and husband and, and whatever you need him to be. But I'm talking especially if you have two people in the household, you see, you're teaching that child. So I've seen folk that thought, well, I'm a good mother, you know, but I can't stand living with that man. And I'll put up with him, you know, and, and, until these kids get out of here. Listen. There's only one way to keep from imparting something into your kids. And that is to get it out of you. You may say, well, I'll never bring it up. I'll hide it. I'll never talk about it. They'll never know. Listen, they live with you. They read between the lines. Things speak loud and clear whether you say it or not. And you're going to impart to children what you are, not just what you say. And a lot of times, as long as they're at home, they'll do what you tell them to do as long as they have to. But then when they get out, they're going to do what you do. Watch it. It happens over and over. They'll do what you say as long as they have to. But as soon as they get out on their own, they're going to do what you did. Not just what you said. So if you said one thing and did something else, forget it. You're going to impart to them what you are. And if you don't want something in them that's been in you, there's only one way to do it. Get it out of you. The man is the head. If he's a good husband, he'd make a good father. The woman is next. Now, in some things, certainly, they, they, they have equal standing in some things. But where the structure of the house is concerned, you say, well, you know, shouldn't the man and the woman rule the house equally? No, where the structure of the house is concerned, the Bible's very plain, the man should be the head of the house. That doesn't mean that he treats his wife like a servant. And like I said, it's not the man's job to make his wife submit. And the man should appeal to his wife's wisdom that the Lord gives her. Amen. And they should have a tremendous relationship and and, and communion. But sometimes there are things that the man will have to make a decision on. Then, here's something that, that folk wonder about. What's next then? Elder child, then younger child. And some folks say, well, "No, I don't know about that, Brother Keith. I don't agree with that. I mean, if you give a, one child any authority over the other child, that's just going to cause problems. I mean, one of them's going to get jealous and envious, and, and that's just going to cause problems." And so, a lot of times, people totally avoid that. We mentioned last time about how the people used to have large families, and because they didn't have, you know, any other choice, many times a fourteen-year-old would have a limited amount of authority over say a four-year-old. Why? It was necessary. Because they had to take responsibility for them. And sometimes parents are like, you know, I want to avoid that. I don't want to, I don't want to have anything like that in my house. Yeah, but sometimes you miss an opportunity to teach them a valuable lesson. Because when they get to grow up and they're in the body of the Christ, guess what the Lord does? He gives some elder children authority over some of the younger. And they're your brother. Is that right? I said, they're your brother. Now, make sure you understand what I'm saying about this. A responsible elder child, if there's enough gap in the age, and if there's enough gap in maturity, some 14-year-olds got no business having any authority over four-year-olds. They're not mature. And limited amount of authority. Now, if if you take any one of those words and change it from what I said, you'll make me say something I didn't say. You understand what I'm saying? A responsible older child with enough difference in ages and a limited amount of authority. Okay? You can teach children valuable lessons through those things. So it's father, mother, elder child, younger child. That's the basis for the local church, as we're going to see in just a few moments. Now in the church itself, the church proper... God the Father is first. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that even Jesus himself, when all things are put under uh, his feet, shall himself be subject unto the Father, that the Father may be all in all. Isn't that right? And as Jesus walked the earth, he said, I only say what I hear the Father say. Right? Obvious deference. He referred and said, my Father is greater than I. Then also, the Holy Spirit... Is next now the Holy Spirit is here with us in the earth in filling us leading us directing us but Jesus said he when he comes he won't speak of himself he'll just say what he hears the Spirit says to us what Jesus the head of the church says to the body we have personal contact with the Holy Spirit here in the earth and then nextly there's the Father there's the Son there's the Spirit nextly is the body of Christ And we only say what the Spirit says. Did you get that? The Father, all things proceed out of Him. Then Jesus only says what the Father says. Then the Spirit only says what Jesus says. And the church should only say what the Spirit says. Is that right? That's the deference. Now when it comes to the church, I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians 12 and look at some things. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, there are two, you know, actually there are three portions of Scripture in the New Testament that deal with ministries and ministry gifts, but uh, two especially that mention names very specifically, and that's in Ephesians 4 and right here in 1 Corinthians 12. Usually when, when folk talk about, you know, or I won't say usually, many times, when people talk about ministry gifts, they refer to Ephesians 4. And that, that, that's a good reference. It says, you know, uh, when the Lord ascended up on high, he gave gifts unto men. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And he talked about until, you know, we've matured. But notice that he does not mention an order there. I'm not saying the order that's there is not significant. But he does not mention an order there like he does here. In 1 Corinthians 12, he starts out and goes first, second, third. See, he doesn't do that. And actually, the order is different here in 1 Corinthians 12 than it is in Ephesians 4. We'll see that in just a moment. 1 Corinthians 12, Verse 27. It says, now, you are the body of Christ, that's all of us, and members in particular. And God hath set some, now notice some, not all, some, in the church, notice, first apostles. Now, now see, Ephesians didn't say that, did it? It didn't say first, second, or third. It just gives a list. But here it says, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly, teachers. Now see, in Ephesians 4, it doesn't have teachers like in that order. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, third. But it didn't say third there either. Here it says thirdly, teachers. And remember the context here that he is saying, you are the body of Christ. And the Lord has set some in the church. So this is... The order that God has set in the church first. Now see, it'd just be an assumption if you're talking about order, but the Lord said first, apostles, secondarily, prophets, thirdly, teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings. Now I think in that we could see the evangelist ministry. And then helps. What is that? That helps ministries of all kinds. And then governments. Now, I think in governments, we could certainly see uh, pastors, because a pastor is an overseer and in charge, you know, leading the in the government of the local church. But did you notice that helps is men, is mentioned before governments? Did you notice that? Then he goes on and says diversities of tongues. Did you know there's a ministry of tongues, not like a fivefold ministry gift? But there's a ministry. Not that you know, just because you had a ministry of tongues, that would put you in the same category of full-time ministry as an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, but there is a legitimate ministry. And then he asked the question, are all apostles? What's the obvious answer? No. No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Have all the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Some people seize upon that scripture and say, well, you know, everybody's not supposed to speak with tongues. He's not talking about the believer speaking with tongues. He's talking about a ministry. Everyone does not have a ministry of, of diverse kinds of tongues. For instance, a tongue, the kind of tongues that God would use to address an assembly and then give an interpretation to. Everybody doesn't have that. But everybody can speak in tongues. That's obvious, because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, I would that you all spake with tongues. It must be available to all, or else why would he say that? Notice it goes on to say, but covet earnestly, or, or do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now, what he is saying, he's talking about the whole body of Christ. He's not talking about a local church. Are you listening? There's been a lot of confusion about these things. If you try to take this, if you try to take this portion of scripture right here and, and establish it within the confines of a local church, you're going to have havoc. He is not talking about the local church. In the local church, there is not a structure of apostle of the local church, prophet of the local church, teacher of the local church, because if you do, you got the pastor down on the bottom. Now, I know that wouldn't go over good here. <laughs> and I'm glad. Are you listening? You even got, did you notice, if you do that, you even got the helps ministries before the pastor. Are you listening? Now, how do folk explain that? I mean, anybody have better sense than that, wouldn't they? Or to. <laughs> he? Or two. What does he tell This is the whole body of Christ. The Lord, as far as rank in the body of Christ, God has set firstly apostles to in the body. Prophets in the body. Teachers in the body. This is not a teacher in a local church. This is a teacher sent to minister to different portions of the body. Amen. And he also goes on to say what we see the evangelists and then helps. How do we know there are helps ministries to the body? This is not just the local church. Helps ministries to the body. So see, if you understand that it's a helps ministry to the body, you could understand why he mentioned it before he did pastor. But when you come to the local church, now we got a different thing. When you come to the local church, the pastor is the highest authority in the local church. Why? Because he's the daddy. So you come back to the home structure. Is that right? Now, now, one thing that's caused a lot of confusion in the local church is is because people have thought it was an institution instead of a family. The local church is supposed to be a family. It's supposed to be operated like a family. Now, of course, you've got a big church. You've got some business aspects of it. But in a family, you've got business dealings too. But you don't run a family like a business. I hope you don't. You don't just assign your kids numbers and run it like you would a factory. It's family. It's family. And the man is supposed to be the head of the home. And the local church is a family. The entire church is a family. Is that right? We're all a family. Ephesians 3, Paul said, you know, I bow my knees unto the the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. we're all one big family now we can't all get together in one spot at one time so we have local families one day we're going to all get together and we're going to have us one more reunion Amen. Amen. amen big family but the local church is a family Jesus is the husband of the whole family he's also called the shepherd the great shepherd but he's appointed under-shepherds to lead the flock. Amen? Now, one thing that I think folk have really misunderstood where these ministries are concerned is that these ministries are not body-wide. They are jurisdictional. I'm going to say some things for the next few minutes I want you to listen to because I I know it's helped me to see some of these things from the Word of God, and it'll help some folks to answer some questions if they get it. Jurisdictional. For instance, just because a man is a pastor of one church, that does not necessarily mean he is pastor over the whole city. Is that right? And listen to this. Just because a man is an apostle to one work does not mean he is an apostle over the whole body. These ministries are jurisdictional. Absolutely. Paul talked about this. Why don't you go with me to 2 Corinthians. Let's look over about the uh, 10th chapter. And notice what Paul says. 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. And look at verse 12. He says, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. (laughs) But we will not boast of things without our measure. Notice that? Without our what? Measure. Measure. But according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reach not unto you, for we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things without our measure." that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line or rule of things made ready to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. (coughs) Now one thing we need to note about these ministries is that they are not self-assumed. They are God ordained. You don't just decide what you want to be in the body of Christ, you find out what you are. And if you're faithful, you'll grow and develop. And many ministries take time to develop. That's why it's so absurd. When you got some guy that was born again a year and a half ago, and now he's an apostle to the body of Christ. To the body. There is nobody that is the apostle to the body of Christ. And there is nobody except the Lord Jesus Christ who is the prophet to the body of Christ. And there is nobody who is the teacher to the body or the evangelist to the body. All of these ministries are jurisdictional. All of them. Paul stood at the head, uh, 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 I mean, I'm talking about in a large degree and a large measure of the office of apostle. But he talked about that he did not extend himself beyond the measure that God gave him. That's why it's absurd when somebody comes in as a stranger to the area and comes in and says, I'm an apostle, submit to me. It's absurd. I said it's absurd. Yes. Let me show you something. Go with me to Revelations two. These ministries are jurisdictional in their scope. We need to understand that. and there are different levels of ministry in every one of these categories, different levels of it. We're going to talk about that further in a moment. In Revelation, the second chapter, verse one. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write. Now remember, the church of Ephesus is the one he wrote to and he talked about God as said in the church. Not, excuse me, that's 1 Corinthians. God gave gifts unto men and he gave some apostles, prophets, etc. So they had this in writing. They knew about the different ministry gifts and they knew about apostles. And they knew that, that Paul referred to himself as an apostle. You know, sometimes when people hear about these things, they get infatuated with titles. Are you listening? And when they see somebody that does stand in the full-orbed office of these things, that they get envious, and that's what they want. Especially those that are immature. They get glory in their eyes. Are you listening? And they want to be able to run people around, call the shots, and play big shot. And so they try to find the biggest title they can find and then claim that's what I am. But notice, the reason I say that is because we know they had that revelation about apostles and some things. Actually, they had quite a bit. The the second chapter said quite a bit about apostles and prophets and revelation and things that came through. In fact, let me just take a minute and talk about that. Go back. Hold your place here. This will mean more to you maybe after you look at this. In Ephesians, hold your place there in Revelation. We're going to look at that. But in, in Ephesians... I want you to notice something. I want you to hold on with me now. Don't don't make any rash judgment before I get through. Like we told you last week, eat the whole roll. (laughs) Then decide. Ephesians 2, verse 20. Ephesians 2, 20. He says, you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. Now notice he did not mention all fivefold ministry gifts here. He just mentions these two, and in particular he says the foundation, the rock, is Christ. And of course the foundational doctrine of that came through these first apostles, and everybody since then has really been in the Spirit of God, has not relayed that foundation, they've simply built upon it. Are you listening? That foundation cannot be laid again. Because that rock is Christ. He's been laid. The truth of the gospel has been given. The revelation has come forth in these epistles and different writings. And everybody that's a true apostle since then has only built upon that. And notice it goes on to say, uh, verse 1, Paul said, you know, uh, verse 2, he said, he, excuse me, chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 2, he said, If you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to youward, how that by revelation... Notice, by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto who? His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now notice again he did not mention the other ministry gifts. I want to say something. You judge it. Beware when foundational doctrine comes through evangelists or teachers or even pastors. What do you mean? I mean revelation that is new to that generation of the body of Christ. Now, there is no such thing as new revelation. It's always been in the Word of God. But a lot of times, generations will lose things. Are you listening? And when they lose things, then the Spirit of God has to bring it back. And the way He'll bring it back is, first of all, now that's not the end of it, but the initial stages of it will come through established, did you hear that word? Established apostles and prophets. Now, any, any teacher, any evangelist, Any pastor that you want to talk about, any ministry of helps, any ministries along this line, the truth that they teach, I'll guarantee you, they heard it first. The precept of it, the foundation of it through an apostolic ministry or a prophetic ministry. Now oftentimes, just take a teacher for instance. A lot of times a teacher may hear revelation to him for the first time through the ministry of an apostle or a prophet, but then the Lord will give him increased detail. Are you listening? And I'm not implying at all that those ministry gifts don't get revelation because they certainly do. That's obvious. And a lot of times a prophet may just speak something out and it may be just in the, in the concept form. But then the, the Lord might give a teacher a lot of detail on it or he might give an evangelist a fiery message about it and the pastor will be able to bring it into practical application for his people. But for instance, if you get a a teacher that comes out with a doctrine that's brand new to the body of Christ that the the established apostles and prophets have not spoken of, beware. Are you listening? Anyway, just thought I'd You know, you do what you want to with that. Revelation, the second chapter. Now, I hope you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not saying that the other ministry gifts don't get revelation. I'm talking about revelation that is initial to that generation. Now, Revelation, the second chapter. He said unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and you have tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and has found them liars. It is scriptural for the pastors and the congregations To try those that say they are apostles. Are you listening? Ministries have to be proven. Ministries are not just in name. They're in power and in fruit. Paul referred to a group of people in a church he'd established. He said, you're my seal. The seal of my apostleship. He referred, he said, when I was among you, there were the signs of an apostle wrought among you in power and demonstration and mighty deeds. It's more to being an apostle than just talk. Amen? Any, you know, young gun off the street can drop in and say, I'm an apostle now. That doesn't make him one. Or a prophet. Amen? There are, and even those ministries that are called, there are jurisdictional and there are different levels of maturity. For, for lack of a better, I hope you don't misunderstand what I, what I mean by saying this, but, but there are, you know, we, we talk about in the Bible about major and minor prophets, don't we? We say like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, major prophets, and then, you know, like Habakkuk and Joel, different ones, we call them minor prophets, primarily because of the size of their writings. But did you know that there is a truth there as far as scope and influence is concerned? A man could be a prophet, let's say, to just one man or one group of people on an occasion. Or a man could be called to be a prophet to the nations, like Jeremiah was. Let me give you an example. How many remember the story that Elisha called, the Bible said, one of the young men prophets? Now, that tells us something that a person could be young and have a call on their life, but that doesn't mean they're fully developing. Right? For instance, the Bible says, you remember when when David was running from Saul and he ran to Samuel? And the Bible said when he got there that the company of prophets were prophesying and Samuel stood as appointed over them. I mean, there are a lot of prophets there, but, but not like Samuel. Samuel was like head prophet. Are you listening? I mean, he, he had the maturity and he had a greater degree uh, of, of that office and was functioning in a wider scope and jurisdiction than these other guys were. They prophesied. Some of them probably had revelation, but they weren't in the same category of a prophet as he was. Same thing is true about pastors, isn't it? I mean, there might be a pastor who's just a pastor to, a, to, to some people in a small town, 20, 30 people. He shepherds them. He leads them. And we're not minimizing that at all. That's, that's a good work. And if he takes good care of his people, he'll be rewarded for his faithfulness. People are, well, we're rewarded for faithfulness. Not just the kind of mark we make in the world or how many people know about us, but by our faithfulness. But then there's also pastors. That, that that are over other pastors. Are you listening? It's a fact. For instance, did you know that in the beginning, there was a church established in Jerusalem, in the book of Acts, if you go through and read, there was a church established at Jerusalem, and James, obviously, turned out to be the pastor of that church. And Jerusalem was the mother church to the rest of the Christian works. I think that's something that folk haven't seen. Now there was a work that sprung up in Antioch. It became a big work. But did you know when they had a question, what did they do? They sent Paul and Barnabas and they sent folk back to the mother church at Jerusalem. Is that right? And so see, James is a pastor, and yet his scope is much broader than a lot of pastors. In in fact, see, he stood in a place in pastoring that say maybe the pastor at Antioch wasn't quite up at that level. He had more influence. And it's interesting the way that went. You know what the the issue was that some of the the Pharisees that had become Christians, they said, you've got to keep the law or that you can't be saved. And, and, And Paul just wouldn't stand for that. He had he had too much revelation, you see, to go with that. And, and a lot of other folk agreed and said, no, no, that's not right. But they didn't think, now this is what would happen a lot of days, and, and, excuse me, a lot of times in today's system, the church at Antioch would say, well, that's good, we'll do what we want to. We don't care what you say at Jerusalem. We have the Holy Ghost. Are you listening? And the church at Ephesus said, we don't care what you say at Antioch, that's your problem. And the guy, this pastor might say, I'm the pastor here, bless God, I run this the way I want to. I'm not answerable to anybody. I don't care who you are. You're answerable to God. Are you listening? And a lot of folk are answerable to more men than they think they are. Are you listening? Now, the whole system is not run through tyranny or oppression, but it's operated by love. The whole thing. Just like in the family, the man's the head of the home, but he doesn't try to rule or run his home like he would, you know, uh, you know, slaves. He loves his, his folk. Amen? And it's all by love. And his wife and his children respect him and submit to him out of reverence and respect because he's a good man. He loves them the way he treats them and takes care of them. Leads them properly. But when they had a question, they sent Paul and different ones down to the church at Jerusalem. And they went there, and it wasn't long until the Pharisees jumped up and said, Now, these, folks that, these Gentiles that are saved are going to have to keep the law. Paul stood up and said, No way. And after the Bible said, there was a lot of disputing. Then Peter stood up. Now, Peter was highly respected in the church. He's an apostle. But Peter's not the pastor. Won't you listen now? Peter's highly respected in the church, but Peter is not the pastor. Peter stood up and he said, Men, brethren, you know how that God made choice. You know that by my mouth the Gentiles had come in, and he told them the story, and he said, It's unreasonable for us to put a yoke on them that neither we nor our fathers were able to bear. And that that made a lot of impression right there, just what Peter said. But then you know who had the final word? The pastor. Is that right? James kind of, when it was all said and done, James is sitting there. He's the head pastor at the church of of Jerusalem, the mother church. And when it's all said and done, he said, well, you know, the Bible said, and he started quoting scripture. And he kind of summed it all up. And when he got through talking, everybody said, "Mm mm-hmm. Amen. And then they wrote a letter from the church at Jerusalem and they distributed it among all the churches and all the satellite works. (laughs) Amen. It's true. That's what happened. See, there is a structure of authority that a lot of folk have ignored. They get off a few miles and they say, well, we're doing our own thing here. Nobody has any, you know, thing to say about this. And notice the church at Jerusalem wasn't trying to coerce and control the church at Antioch any more than a husband should try to coerce and control his wife. The church at Antioch willfully submitted themselves to them and came and asked them. They were their elders and the Lord. Jerusalem is the mother church. Boy, we need to see these things. Ministers need to see these things. Even Paul, the great apostle. Paul got tremendous revelation. He refers to to, to a man he knew being caught up to the third heaven. And most folks think that he's talking about himself. But did you know that he said, I came to the elders there at the church at Jerusalem and submitted to them what I had by the Lord. And see, they judged it, didn't they? And the commission that he felt like he had. And he said, they didn't add anything to me. They gave us the right hand of fellowship. See, these men are men mature in the Lord. They know the Spirit. And, and, and even though James was the pastor, there was an obvious respect for these other ministers too. Wasn't there? Obviously. You know, when Peter got, got out of jail supernaturally, first thing first thing he did as he's leaving, what did he say? He said, go tell James. Go tell the pastor." I'm going to be leaving and going down here and doing this. Amen. These things are important. Now where jurisdiction is concerned, remember that we uh, what I was talking about, about prophets. Elisha said to one of the prophets, the Bible said a young man. So he's a young prophet. He said, take this box of oil and go and anoint Jehu to be king and say, you know, thus saith the Lord, I've anointed you king over, you know, my people. So he had a commission, didn't he? Now see, he, th- this young man, this prophet, he, he's called, he's got an anointing on him, but he's not a prophet in the same category as Elisha. No. Nor, like Jeremiah, prophet to the nations. So he went and he did that. He went and he broke the oil and he dumped it on his head and he prophesied to him and then he ran out of the room. Well, he's learning and developing in his ministry, isn't he? Certainly. Now, you know, I I think, you judge this, but I think we do a disservice to ourselves and to the body of Christ when we limit and say, oh, there are only probably about two or three apostles in the body of Christ and only about two or three prophets, maybe four or five evangelists, you know. I think we do ourselves a great disservice. There are many apostles and there are many prophets. But now you don't just... Brother Hagen, stands in the ministry of a prophet. But just because you say, so-and-so over here has the ministry of a prophet, that doesn't mean he's in the same category of Brother Hagin. You know what I'm saying? And yet so many times people avoid saying anything about any of these ministry gifts because they think, well, you know, nobody's like that or this. Well, no, they're different degrees. Different. I mean, how many know there's a difference between being a pastor of ten people in a little town, and then being a pastor over 5,000 people, and with all kind of satellite works that you're responsible and answerable about. And the Lord might begin to use you and cultivate you in one area, but that doesn't mean that you're in the same category as somebody else. And yet you're, you know, we wouldn't say that this man that's pastoring 10 people is not a real pastor. Would we? Just because his, his realm of influence and jurisdiction is not as great as somebody else's. So there there are these ministry gifts are are around. Especially a place like this, a Bible school, there's a lot of them not not developed too much. (laughs) And it takes time. I said it takes time. Let me say that again. It takes time if you're faithful. If you're faithful. You know, I use this little story sometimes, the pear tree story. Are you ready? One time, there were some trees in the woods. You like it already, don't you? And there were some great big pine trees that stood towering. And there was a little bitty pear tree in the middle of winter. Pines are green, flourishing. And the little pear tree is nothing but bare limbs, very small. These big pines are boasting of their greenness, boasting of their their stature. And the little pear tree looks up and goes, hey. They look down. He goes, guess what I am? I'm a pear tree. I'm telling you, such and such kind of a pear tree. I bear some of the greatest, biggest, most lush pears you ever saw in your life. Big pears. Great pears. Pear tree. I am a pear tree. And the trees look down and go, scrub bush? You're nothing but a scrub bush. That's all you are. Scrub bush. Now that that little pear tree can exhaust itself arguing and trying to convince those pines that it's something or it can just wait Till the season. Is that right? And when there's fruit on the tree. You don't have to say a thing. You don't have to hang a sign. Around it that says pear tree. These folks that keep trying to convince you. That they are a something. They are a something. They are a something. It's not like they're trying to convince themselves. The Bible said concerning Samuel. The word of the Lord came to him as a a child. And by the time he was a certain age, the Bible said the whole land of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew he was established to the Lord to be a prophet. He never sent one runner around saying, I'm a prophet. He never stood up and said, now look, I'm the new prophet in town. Respect me. Believe me. Believe me. These ministries are in power and fruit. Not just in name. Amen? Well, there's so much we could say, but our, our time has, has escaped us. But you know, the heart of things is the local church. It really is. And just like the... Uh, you know, there are the limitations. Sometimes, again, you know, folk want to come in and tell the pastor how to do. You know, it'd be the same thing for somebody to come in here and tell Pastor Hagen how he ought to be running this church how he ought to be having his services, how he ought to be doing this, as to come in, you men, and tell you how your wife ought to be wearing her hair, how she ought to dress, what kind of car you ought to buy. Are you listening? Well, that's none of their business. Is that right? The principles are the same. You know, a real pastor is married to his church. Are you listening? He's committed to his church. The mature ones in the church assume the role of a wife, the men included, submitting to the pastor. The little ones, the babes, are like babies in the family. And did you know, I heard a minister say this, and I think it's real good. Did you know, the shepherd's job is to lead and to feed. Is that right? He's to direct and correct. He is to secure and mature. Ministering to the saints. Is that right? But this is what this minister said. He said, shepherds don't have sheep. Sheep have sheep. What does that mean? It's not the shepherd's job to to, to make sure all the new births occur. The shepherd feeds the sheep. And when the sheep grow up, now baby sheep don't have sheep either. But sheep that are fed and mature and grow up, the natural thing is to reproduce. Amen? God ordained a family church. A church that is a family with the head. Like a home. Did you know during what we call the healing revival, there sprang up revival centers. They weren't churches. Do you know that? And God blessed them as much as he could, but it wasn't his will. And then in the charismatic move, guess what sprang up? Teaching sinners. That's not the will of God either. God blesses them all he can. A lot of them have already faded out. Some of them are about to. Are you listening? Why? Because God ordained a church. A family. There's more to having a church than just having a teaching center. Thank you, Lord. I was about to leave out some things. Did you know that there are some people that have their own ministry that shouldn't have their own ministry? Do you know that? Do you know that there are some churches established that shouldn't be established? God never ordained for that to be a church there. Now don't misunderstand me. The people are His. A lot of times they love Him. They're just mixed up about some things. And a lot of times He'll bless them as much as He can, but He can never really bless them like they want Him to because they're not even supposed to be there like that. A lot of times people would be a great, ministers would be a greater blessing to the body of Christ as a helps ministry joined to another ministry than they would to have their own ministry. But because people are insubordinate, they can't work with another ministry. They're rebellious. They want to do things their own way. And so they pull up and leave and start their own ministry. And they're not even in the perfect will of God. It's a fact. There are, a lot of, there, there are churches that were not supposed to be established. God intended for those things to go through another church. You know what I'm saying? See, a lot of times people are working with ministries and they could have been such a help to that ministry and they could have affected the body of Christ more by staying as a helps than they could by getting out on their own. There's some people, they're out on their own, they're itinerating, but they're not having as much impact on the body of Christ as they were as a helps ministry in another place. And the reason why a lot of folk are out there is because they don't know how to submit. And so they think, well, bless God, I don't have to do that. I can have my own ministry. Just because you can have a ministry doesn't mean you should have one. Are you listening? Sure. I mean, you know, if, you, if you've done ministry for a while, I mean, you can contact people. You can get meetings. You can get some folk to follow you. You can start a church. That doesn't mean God directed you to doesn't mean it's the will of God. Doesn't mean He's going to prosper it. Doesn't mean He's going to bless it. God chooses to put His name in places. God raises up heads and pastors and leaders. Amen. And then God joins people to those works. And we need to learn how to hook where He's joined us. And if we don't like it, we need to learn how to submit. And not just jump up and run and start another church. Jump up and run and start our own ministry. Jump up and run and do something else. Stay with it. Trust God. God will work it out. I mean, we got that much. Well, some people don't. I started to say we got that much sense about families. <laughs> but you see, a lot of folks, they, they don't. The world's messed up. People get married, if they get where they don't like it, well they do. Go start another one. Is that right? Have a few kids, if they get tired of it, leave it. People do that with ministries. People do that with churches. And it's just as wrong in ministry and churches as it is in homes. No. God didn't ordain that kind of a thing. God ordained families. And if you're family, you're family. You stick together. It's tough. You stick it out to the other side. Amen. Daddy says something you don't like, well, you live with it. Is that right? If daddy's wrong, you pray and believe God. But a lot of times, it turns out that you're wrong. You just thought daddy was wrong. And you'll be glad if you kept your mouth shut. (laughs) Folk won't know how wrong you would have been. Is that right? My, my, my. Praise God. God ordained families. And the same structure that's right for a family is right for a local church is the same structure that God has for the whole family of God. And if we if we learn how to get it right at home and get it right in the local church and it spreads from local church to local church and we all have that same sense of family, there will be tremendous unity. The Bible talks about a great army. God refers to it as His army. I has a double reference there in Joel. It says His army did not break rank. Mighty army. Strong, that know their place. Amen? Good soldiers that know how to keep right. They know their place, and they're there. You don't have the right just to jump up and leave a church because you don't like it anymore. Did you get transfer orders from headquarters? Are you listening? See, so many people, they just run in their own life, and then they say, Jesus is my Lord. They decide they want a ministry, they go get, they didn't get any orders from headquarters. They just went. Like one minister said about apostles and missionaries, you know. Some are sent, some just went. (laughs) And the ones that just went get in the way of the ones that are sent. Cause them all kind of problems. Is that right? And don't do much on the field either. But the ones that are sent are equipped and anointed and blessed of God, and the hand of the Lord is upon them. And the fruit shows it and the power shows it. Amen. Yes. Glory to God. Get orders from headquarters. If God gave you orders to, to you know, that you're in this company at Raymond Bible Church, then you better not budge till you get transfer orders. Well, I don't like what they said. So? Well, I don't have to stay there if I don't want to. I know it. You can disobey the Lord. I'm serious. Do we have the right just to go where we want to and do what we want to and be what we want to and have we want? Or is Jesus really our Lord? Is He the captain of our salvation? Is He the head of the church? Then that means He gives us direction, doesn't it? That means He gives us orders. He puts us in places. Do we know what our orders are? A lot of folk don't. They need to get to seeking God. And if you do know what the you, orders are, you better not jump without further orders. Can you say amen? amen? God has a structure of authority. God ordained. You're a part of it. Find your part. Fill your place. Move in your grace. Function by the option. And let the Lord bless you. Hallelujah. 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 For the day is coming and the day is now that the Lord brings forth His plan, His pattern established, His ways fixed unto His leaders. And the time is coming and the time is now that that which is not of the Lord and not of His building shall crumble and fall. And That which He hath not built, the laborers shall realize they have labored in vain. For unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. But the Lord has established the foundation and the Lord has built His church and the Lord shall build His church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. Truth and light shall break forth in greater degree. Many shall see and submit. Many shall see and obey. Many shall see and take their place and flow in their grace. And great shall be the power thereof. Great shall be the unity thereof. And great shall be the harvest. For the laborers shall move as one. One vision one mind, one voice, one accord. And the Spirit shall move in them and through them and shall anoint them. And one shall supply a measure to another and they shall have no lack and they shall be satisfied for they all are supplying grace. And many that are weary shall be refreshed for others shall rise up in their place and take their responsibility that the leader had been bearing up until then. Then that shall loose the leaders to give themselves fully unto what the Lord hath ordained for them to be and to have. And they shall speak more boldly and they shall speak with great anointing and power and with great direction. And that which had held many churches in bondage and that which had held the church of the Lord at bay shall begin to be broken and shall begin to fade. And like a mighty army foreordained of God, the church shall arise and on the promised land trod and the harvest shall be reaped and the harvest shall be great because the hour is close and the time is late. And the Lord gives orders from on high by the Holy Spirit whom in the church Abides, And the Lord gives direction through His chosen ones, His leaders, His apostles, His prophets, His pastors. And then they give direction unto those that are ordained. And then they give direction unto those under them. And the body moves as one man and flows in smoothness and harmony. And in unity, there's power. In unity, there's protection. In unity and subjection, there is safety from the wiles and the device of the evil one. Yea, the day is coming, and the day is now, that God's church shall begin to rise more and more glorious, more and more powerful. And yea, those unbelievers round about shall begin to fear the church as in days of old. For they'll know that God does dwell in her midst. And she's not just an organization. She's not just a social club. But she is a mighty family of the Lord God. And the Lord shall be glorified. And His glory shall be great. And all of us will be able in it to participate. Hallelujah. Praise God.